It's Monday, August 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The fears of an economic slowdown loomed over the G7 summit over the weekend as President Trump sought to encourage economic growth in other countries to avoid a global recession. This comes at a time when the trade tensions with China are only increasing. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for a G7 roundup and a new Republican challenger to President Trump. Next, China is pouring billions of dollars into research and development of quantum technology, hoping to dominate a field with big economic and military applications. While the U.S. still leads where it matters most, quantum computers, China is pulling ahead in quantum communications and satellites. Gene Whalen, reporter for The Washington Post, joins us for the race to lead in quantum tech. Finally, the rise of athleisure and vegan clothing is speeding the decline of the leather industry. Americans are also eating more beef than they have in a decade, which is resulting in a higher number of hides available to manufacture leather products. In some cases, it costs more to process the hides for leather than they are worth. Lydia Mulvaney, reporter for Bloomberg News, joins us to talk about how leather is losing. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. He didn't exactly hear the question. Actually, what he was intending to say is he always has second thoughts, and he actually had second thoughts about possibly a higher tariff response to China. So it was not to remove the tariff. He was thinking about a higher tariff response. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Glad to be with you. President Trump is in France for the meeting of the Group of Seven Nations. They're all getting together to talk about a range of issues, as it usually is when they all get together. But the president, very top of mind for him is trade and and trying to get a lot of these other countries to promote growth in their own economies because everybody's worried right now of a global recession happening. Tell us what happened there at the G7. We saw leaders from other countries at the G7. So these are the seven largest economies that are grouped together. Not doesn't include China, and they kicked Russia out. So some of the biggest economies in the world getting together to talk about pressing issues. And the president is very concerned about a global recession. We saw some of them voicing some concern about tariffs and about trade wars. Boris Johnson, who may now be President Trump's biggest ally in the G7, said in a meeting with the president that he didn't like tariffs. But we've seen Trump and his White House aides try to make a better message out of these meetings. Larry Kudlow on Sunday morning show saying that every leader in the meetings thanked the president for taking on China, that they agreed that China was acting uh, wrong in their trade and their productions. But there was definitely a lot of talk about the president's trade war and, and some concern being expressed about the global ramifications of it. I mean, it's interesting for Larry Kudlow. This is the second time he's hit the uh, talk show circuits because last week there was fears about a recession in the United States. So he, he was out there uh, trying to calm fears. But he's saying that other countries are thanking him for taking on China. But at the same time, nobody really agrees with how this trade war is playing out. It's affecting everybody. That's right. There was another unusual moment in these meetings. President Trump was asked if he had any second thoughts about China trade war. And he said, yes, I always have second thoughts. And then we saw his aides come back and appear to walk that back a little bit. And they said, well, his second thoughts were that he should have put more tariffs on China, not less. 
So that was another moment where there was some confusion about what he's even thinking at this point about the trade war with China. Yeah, the spin is always kind of funny. Larry Kudlow, he was like, hold on, hold on. I want to reframe that. He he didn't hear the question right. And, and you know, this is this is why the media misinterpreted it. But that trade war is just top of mind for him. Uh, obviously, his reelection efforts are really hinged on whether the economy remains strong. The other thing that happened late last week was China, there was this whole tit for tat again where China was going to increase tariffs on U.S. goods and the president was even threatening to declare a national emergency and have U.S. companies cut their ties with China, which a lot of people had a problem with. That's right. That would have been a really unprecedented step in times of peace to force U.S. companies to abandon their efforts in China or their investments there. Kudlow also sort of trying to reframe that uh, or sort of like, don't believe what you read or hear. Let me explain it to you moment said that the president wasn't ordering anyone, even though the words order were in his tweets, uh, but that he was uh, suggesting that companies ought to look at other options. Um, So a little bit of a walk back on that. There will be no emergency declaration. They said on Sunday morning, to force companies, it would be very difficult for them to do so, even though they did insist a little bit that they might have the power. There were real-life ramifications, though, for the president's tweets. We saw the stock market drop in response to that on Friday afternoon. And with the back and forth at the G7 over the weekend, Monday morning stocks could respond in a way that aren't so great for uh, American 401k holders. Larry Kudlow did say that talks with China are ongoing. They're still expecting for some type of meeting to happen in September. But this is just the ongoing thing. And this is the problem that the president has to handle before the next election. You know, it's one of the most important things for for his reelection effort. Kudlow got asked on CNN if he thought that they would have a deal by uh, the November 2020 election. And he said he couldn't say and he couldn't predict. So it is becoming increasingly possible that they'll still be waging this trade war with China before the president stands for re-election next year. Speaking of 2020, we have a new contender on the Republican side. Bill Well, the former Massachusetts governor, had been the only guy trying to unseat President Trump. But now we have former Congressman Joe Walsh, who also stepped into the ring. That's right. Joe Walsh was a Republican congressman from Illinois. He served only one term before being defeated by now Senator Tammy Duckworth, was a member of the Tea Party movement, was known for being a little combative and controversial. He called President Obama a Muslim at one point when he disagreed with him, has decided to run for president and announced a Sunday morning on ABC saying that President Trump is unfit and a bully and that he uh, feels badly now for the things he said about President Obama when he was in Congress and that he felt like he helped embolden Trump's movement and helped contribute to Trump getting elected. And now he wants to try what will be a very difficult long shot effort to uh, defeat President Trump in a primary. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. China has made more headway in quantum communications. These are like communication networks that carry data and conversations back and forth through fiber optic cables. And they send qubits through those cables. A qubit-based system is harder to have. Joining us now is Gene Whalen, reporter for the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Gene. 
Sure thing. There's a pretty intense competition between the United States and China right now to develop quantum technology. There's a big promise of being able to transform computers, surveillance, other aspects of modern society. And one of the big major things is getting quantum computers off the ground. So this competition between China and the United States, there's places where we're leading right now, and there's other places where China is starting to pull ahead. Let's start off by talking about what is quantum technology. Quantum technology is just new forms of machines and devices that will eventually, scientists hope, be able to process and transmit and take images of information and images better. Does that make sense? So, so new devices for processing and transmitting information and new devices for imaging things, kind of like high-tech cameras almost. We're still a, a long ways off from really getting this technology right. As far as like a, a quantum computer going, some experts say we're still a decade off before we're even there. Most scientists agree, well, it'll probably be a decade or more before we get a fully functioning quantum computer. Right now, there are some prototypes out there, but they're not even as strong and fast yet as existing computers are. So it'll be at least 10 years before a fully up and running quantum computer might be available. And I should say all of, all of this technology is based on quantum particles, so on atoms or subatomic particles, which behave in a very peculiar way. They have behavior defined by the laws of quantum mechanics. So the idea is by harnessing the kind of weird behavior of these particles, we might be able to process information and transmit it in new powerful ways that our existing digital technology cannot. So tell us now where we are in this competition. Where, are, where is the United States leading in this and where is China starting to pull ahead? So the United States is leading in the most important part of the field, which is uh, trying to build a quantum computer. And that's largely thanks to a lot of investment by big companies like IBM and Google, Intel, Microsoft. There are also a bunch of startups that have put a lot of money into this because quantum computers might have huge commercial applications. Banks think they might be able to use them to do very complicated new calculations that might help them trade and make money faster. Pharmaceutical companies hope to use them to carry out elaborate new calculations through which they might identify new molecules that they can use to treat disease, new drugs. So, right. so there's a lot of potential, commercial potential here, and therefore companies are pouring a lot into, into that in the U.S. Do we have uh, quantum computers already like this? There are prototypes. So IBM has one up online, actually. I'm not sure that your average Joe would be able to figure out how to use it online. I can't say that I, I got that far myself, but, um, but I think companies are trying to use it to see how quantum computers might be useful to them in the future. But, but like I say, they're not stronger than today's computers. I think they're just early prototypes where companies like Google and IBM are attempting to understand whether they can actually like build on a foundation. Almost like so, proof of concept. Yeah. If we can kind of yeah. get on the way yeah. to it, then we can scale it up. Where is China starting to make some headway? China has made more headway in quantum communications. These are like communication networks that carry data and conversations back and forth through fiber optic cables. And they send qubits through those cables, which makes for a more secure transmission system. A qubit-based system is harder to hack. So the Chinese are hoping to protect their communications better by employing these systems. 
they're also launching satellites, and they hope to have the satellites also be able to carry out quantum communication with ground stations. So for them, it's more of a defensive move. It's a way to protect their sensitive government and military and business communications from hacking. So the damage for us and all of that could be for the U.S. could be that we will have an increasingly hard time eavesdropping on China and its military and, and government in the future. One of the interesting parts about this is that a lot of these Chinese scientists that are working on this stuff study abroad from over there. They come to the United States, actually, and they're learning a lot of the stuff. Then they're going back to their home country and applying all of the stuff that they learned you know, there in their home country. So even the United States, we're trying to figure out how to even maybe limit some of that. It's an area of concern right now for the FBI, for the Trump administration, and for universities, because clearly our university research system has really benefited by an inflow of immigrants over the years and very smart people who come here from abroad and study here and contribute a lot to our research and start companies and some stay. But there, there is increasing concern that China is coaxing a lot of PhD students back home with big financial incentives, come back and we'll set up a huge lab for you and you'll have limitless research funding and And that some of the science, particularly in the quantum area, does have military applications. So it's a head scratcher right now for a lot of universities that don't want to completely shut down, but need to try to figure out, is there anything that we can do to try to limit the damage of some of that? Gene Whalen, reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. We've gotten less fond of leather, and so the industry is really struggling. This is kind of new for them, but people don't like leather, and they're actually going to have to go out and like promote their products. Before, it was just kind of a given. There was like this premium product that people really wanted and, and desired, and so that's changed. Joining us now is Lydia Mulvaney, food and agriculture reporter for Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us, Lydia. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about the leather industry. The rise of athleisure wear and vegan clothing is speeding the decline of this iconic U.S. industry. Consumers in the United States are eating more beef than they had had in a decade. But this other byproduct of it that goes kind of hand in hand. I mean, if we eat more cows, there's more hides available to make leather and leather products. But people aren't really buying them that much anymore, and it's causing a lot of manufacturers and people that deal with this just store them, start throwing them away. It looks like it could become a big problem pretty soon. Lydia, tell us a little bit more about this. You got it exactly right. People love to eat beef, and Americans are eating more beef than they have in like 10 years. So it's kind of at a high right now. But at the same time, we've gotten less fond of leather. And so the industry is really struggling. This is kind of new for them, but people don't like leather, and they're actually going to have to go out and like promote their products. Before, it was just kind of a given. There was like this pre premium product that people really wanted and and desired. And so that's changed. Tell us a little bit about how the prices have fluctuated. Tell us how valuable these cattle hides are in relation to the value of the cow overall. The story kind of starts maybe like five years ago. There was this drought in Texas that drove the cattle herd in the U.S. down to really low numbers, and it caused leather prices to spike like in 2014, 2015. And leather was really expensive then, and they kind of priced themselves out of the market. So a lot of designers, like especially like the shoe industry, they just stopped using it. They found ways to use less. 
Yeah, hides hides have often accounted for about 50% of the value for yes. the animal's byproducts. In some cases right now, it's not even 1% the value of a yeah. live cow, which is, I mean, just sounds crazy. I, I guess yeah. so high quality leather is a different story. There's still plenty of demand for that for, you know, high priced handbags or high end sofas and things like that. But let's talk prices of the rest of it. Some of the hides are going for as little as $4 and that's down from, and they used to be about $81. That's, that's a big drop. Hides from cows and bulls are in particular are really cheap right now. Those are animals that, you know, are outside, you know, for many years or, or, you know, they're, you know, if they're dairy cows, these aren't young animals when they're sent to slaughter. And that's when you would get their hide. So in a lot of cases, these animals have been outside and they've been bitten. They have imperfections. They might have brands on them. So those aren't like the highest quality hides. They're not turned into Louis Vuitton handbags or anything. But, you know, in the past, they would be used for small leather goods. So those have almost become worthless. Like $4 for a leather, like manufacturer to process that and turn it into leather, it's not worth it. Like the cost of production is higher than that. So what's happening is those processors are telling meat packers like, hey, we can't take these hides right. because and in some cases, We're they're even money on them. In some cases, they're even throwing them away, which I mean, just it sounds horrible to hear at that point. Yeah, there's not a lot of throwing away right now. Like it's just this like very bottom part of the market, and people don't want to throw them away. Like I think some places are still taking them, but they might be losing money. But people are worried that you know it's going to get more extreme. And part of this decline in the leather industry has to do with uh, the rise of synthetic fabrics, things that contain right. no leather at all. They call it vegan clothing sometimes, you know, that doesn't have any animal byproducts in it. And that clothing, those accessories, all that stuff has increased 54% in the retail market just in this year. Yeah. So that's changing it. And then there comes this conversation of, you know, which is better for the environment because that type of clothing has its own negative effects somehow. Uh, so uh, that's the the next step in, in the conversation. Also, that's why you were saying that leather makers are going to have to reposition themselves also saying, hey, well, this isn't as harmful for the environment as some of that other stuff could be. You might remember years back if you bought synthetic leather might not have been very nice. It probably looked pretty plasticky. Well, the, a lot of those materials have really advanced, and there's so many of them. There's so many different types of synthetic materials, and they've become a lot better. They're, they're now like really good imitations of leather. They're breathable. They're comfortable. And so there's just been an explosion there in that, in that market. And there's so much choice. And that's also part of what's hurting leather, just like increased competition. And then in terms of the environmental part of it, a lot of these synthetics are plastic. So that's not great for yeah. the environment. Right, right. Um, I, however, I, the ones that people really like right now and are paying a lot of money for or you know you might have shoes that are made of like recycled plastic bottles or something like that and and i think there's also some leather that's like made of like fruit or you know like some really innovative materials that are that have some kind of eco-conscious story behind them like people consumers really love that right now and they're really flocking to those lydia mulvaney food and agriculture reporter for bloomberg thank you very much for joining us thank you That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.